Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. It is July 25th, Sunday afternoon. I flew back from Washougal last night. I just got done watching the MXGP and MX2 classes from Lockett in the Czech Republic, uh, which happened earlier this morning, but I was tired. Not going to lie, I got back pretty late last night, had a flight delay, which didn't help anything, and uh, just a long week and weekend launching the 2022 Fly Racing Line. So super excited that it's out there. Glad everybody gets to see it. I wish that we had more healthy riders to wear it on the weekend at Washougal, but that's how, that's how these things go. Uh, we are working diligently to get product to dealers, but if you've not been li- living under a rock for the last year, you know that there are logistics challenges and shipping delays and port problems and everything you can possibly think of uh, that would create difficulties for us getting products out. So we're working on it and you will, uh, you'll see products inside dealerships very, very soon. Before we get too far into this, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires. They won the, uh, the MXGP event today, which they typically do. Plum Creek Funding, talk a little bit about some uh, refinance opportunities there. Guts Racing, saw those guys running around inside the top three with the Rockstar Husky graphics and seat covers that they use fast foundry works connection ripping another hole shot yesterday with monster star yamaha i know that's uh that's shocking news that they would get another hole shot blends all oils their new ultra tpi uh, addition to the lineup premier vapor blasting of georgia 612 suspension grant stone boots pro glow wash and fly racing as i mentioned so jumping directly into the 250 class from Washougal, J-Mart, two for two. And I didn't really think he was going to win the overall. I, I didn't. Uh, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, Spring Creek and the win there was a little bit of home cooking. And it doesn't mean I didn't think he would be on the podium. But I kind of felt like it was going to be Justin Cooper's day. And in the first moto, it was. He went out and won the moto. And then the second moto, you see him get out to uh, a great start there. And he just wasn't able to hold Jeremy Martin off. And then later, a very uncharacteristic mistake from Justin Cooper crashing with a couple laps to go. And I kind of, I attribute that to his attempt to chase J-Mart down. And in the moment, I was like, man, what a a costly mistake. Can't do that there. And, And I was wanting to blame him for taking unnecessary risk. But now that I've had a little bit more time to think about it, I think it can be explained away by just he was trying to win. And he felt like he could put in a pace there to try to chase J-Mart down. And he put in one of his best laps with two or three to go. So you could tell he was really pushing. And I'm never going to blame anybody for trying to win, especially 
when you have somebody like Jet Lawrence that's on their heels a bit, he didn't have a great day. And I think that Justin Cooper sensed an opportunity to try to make a break in this series. And he wanted those extra three points. You know, that's a six point swing going from second to first in the moto. And I think he only pushed the edge there because he felt like it was possible. And of course he wants to beat his teammate and, and there are underlying uh, you know, themes there. But I think it was just he wanted to win. And unfortunately, things happen sometimes. Crashes are going to happen. It was costly. Make no mistake, he he left a bunch of points on the table. And on a day where he could have really put Jet Lawrence under a ton of pressure championship-wise, he kind of let him off the hook there. So we'll see if that comes back to bite him. But he really could have changed the uh, the tone of this series. And he still has a red plate. You know, it wasn't all for naught. But... He left a lot of points out there that Jet Lawrence was uh, the recipient of. So kind of the the status quo has been continued. Not a huge change. I think it was a three-point change on the day, something like that. I'm going from memory. Justin Cooper keeps a red plate. Jet Lawrence is second. And looking down the list, you see J-Mart is 60, 61 points down. Is that right? Seems like a lot of points with five rounds to go. I don't think he really gets into this. He's going to need a lot of help from a lot of people. You know, not only would Justin Cooper have to have some sort of catastrophe one of these weekends, but I think he would also need Jet Lawrence to have huge issues too. And the likelihood of both of them having big problems is not great. And that also means that Jeremy Martin would have to be perfect down the stretch. So you're just asking too many things to go certain directions uh, to get J-Mart back in this championship. But I'm, I'm sure he knew that when he when he came back out here. It was it was about getting race wins and just kind of letting the chips fall where they may. And he's won two in a row. So clearly, it seems like he's made the right decision to, uh, to rejoin this series. Speaking of Jet, I, I kind of touched on his day a little bit. He left points on the table. He got a gift there from, from Justin Cooper, but kind of a meh day. You know, he gets a second place in that second moto, which wasn't too bad, but his pace wasn't very good all day. He didn't qualify well. I never really felt like he was on the pace of the leaders per se. And there's so much expectation for him, you know, not, not really his fault. You know, the, if you've been listening and following along, you've heard the discussions between myself and Steve Mathis and Daniel Blair and everybody about, you know, whether Jet is a generational talent and, and what, reasonable expectations should be. I don't really think any of that's fair to him. And that's been my argument all along is just let it happen. You know, if he's going to be one of the all-time greats and, and live up to some of this pressure, then good for him. But if he doesn't, then so what, you know, he's, he's a 17 year old kid about to turn 18. Just let him play this out on his own accord. And he's going to, you know, race week in and week out. And let's just see how this thing goes without saying crazy things like he is, well, and I, and I don't even want to say that. I don't want to say that Daniel Blair has a crazy take because he could very likely become what Daniel Blair thinks he is, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, and I don't think it's necessary pressure or necessary labels to put on what is a, he is a kid, you know, I think on an emotional level and in many levels, he is just still a kid. So let's just let him be a kid and appreciate how great he's doing and how much better he's gotten in a short amount of time without saying, you know, putting this undue pressure that he's got to live up to being one of the best all time in the sport. Because if he doesn't, then it's going to feel like a failure 
on some level, and, and I don't think it should. I think he's doing incredibly well. I just don't want, you know, if he doesn't win the title this year and something happens next year where he doesn't win a title, which I, th- I think he will, but if he doesn't, I think a lot of people are going to start pointing fingers like he's not living up to some imaginary bar that someone said, and, and I, I just don't want to see that because I, I do like the kid, and I think he is doing incredible things for the sport. He's creating a great following, and there's really no downside to that. I would just never want him to feel like he's letting someone down because he's not living up to whatever expectations that someone else may have. RJ Hampshire, pretty good day. I thought he was really consistent, which that's really been the the lacking component of his season. You know, he doesn't have to win every moto, which I, I think that's how he's been approaching it is it's win or crash and you're just going to crash too many times in that scenario. So for him to settle and take what was given to him was good. What'd he go? Uh, two, three, something like that. Strong day, gain some points, stay on the podium. That's what you got to do in, in this class when people are crashing. You know, when the win is there, take it. By all means, take the win when it's there. But if it's not there, don't force it and end up on the ground. That, that's a, a big thing that he's got to get better about. And I think he's I think he's working towards that with the guidance of Zach Osborne in his corner as well. Uh, Hunter, Hunter Lawrence, kind of an average day. He did have a crash, which obviously didn't help. But his pace wasn't anything superb. You know, it's fine. He was a top 10 guy or whatever, but he didn't jump off the page. He really didn't have any sort of uh, ability to move forward or chase the leaders or do any of those things that we've seen him be able to do in recent history. So not a terrible day, but not a great day either. Just kind of so-so. I thought Dylan Schwartz deserved a ton of credit because that was an awesome ride. Kind of out of nowhere, you know, he's been hanging around top 20, top 10 at, uh, at spring Creek for a while. didn't end up staying there, but was in there. And then this weekend was kind of a breakout. So I don't know if it was the track or, you know, the, the slippery surface, which helped him. It could be, you know, that, that track being so hard packed allowed him a little bit of, uh, some leniency on, on power. Cause I do, I do think the Suzuki's are underpowered, right? So when you get a hard slippery surface, Horsepower and torque is not such a big deal because it can almost work against you at times. You just get more wheel spin. So I was kind of wondering if there was anything to that where the bike being a little slower just kind of negated uh, him being underpowered a bit. And, and I could be wrong, but I think it's a, a plausible theory. I, I know in my racing past where it, you know the smoother my power delivery was or even if my bike was slower on tracks where the traction was at a premium – it kind of helped. It was frustrating. You know, when you're climbing up horsepower hill or something, I'm sure it didn't, didn't help the, the cause at all, but trying to get out of some of those slippery corners, too much power. And you know, if you want more of a, like an electric delivery, you know, you just want it to be super smooth. And if, if the power is predictable, it's getting applied to the ground without wheel spin, then you're accomplishing the goal. Also had a note here on Colt Nichols, uh, bummer. He went down there late in the second moto. I hope he's okay. You could see Dirt on his shoulder, pretty good there, and he looked like he was in some sort of pain. Uh, Colt's one of the good guys of this sport, and yeah, hate to see him. Hate to see him on the ground. Hopefully, you know, I guess this time off couldn't come at a better time if he is a little banged up, and hopefully he comes out uh, comes out swinging at Unadilla. That would be ideal. I, I really like how his career is progressing. He picks up that Supercross championship, and I think there's uh, there's good days to come for for Colt Nichols. Now jumping into this 450 class. We do our power rankings, of course, each week that kind of give me jumping off points to share my observations and thoughts on a lot of these riders. So at number 10, 
I have Joey Savacci. And if you've been watching Joey, he hasn't been flashy. He got good starts at Spring Creek, which was a nice change, but he's just kind of been hovering around 10th. Hasn't been able to really break break above that. Even with a good start, he fought really hard uh, at Spring Creek to try to stay there and just wasn't able to hold it. Ended up dropping back, you know, further back towards 10th. But he also has been able to move forward. If he starts, you know, 15th, he's also been able to get back up near 10th. So it really feels like his positioning and placement right now, if all things being equal, is around 10th. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure he would say he needs to be better than that, which is fine. Everybody believes that where they should be. And I don't believe he thinks he's a 10th place guy. But at some point, the results start to bear out a picture that it's hard to argue against. So watch. let's watch to see if he can get any better. Uh, as the season progresses, we start to lose riders. People get hurt. People get sick. Uh, people drop out of the series like Cincerillo left for this round. So let's see if uh, Savachi can, can move forward there. At number nine, I have Christian Craig. He finally gets into the power rankings. And if you're wondering, like Connor Fields, his agent, and uh, BMX champ, he's in the Olympics right now. And uh, good luck to Connor. Uh, one of my friends, I am very proud to call him a friend and really pulling for him in Tokyo. But, uh, you know, Connor's been giving me a hard time about not having Christian Craig in these power rankings because CC has been riding really well in this motocross championship. And my reasoning has been, I don't typically put 250 supercross guys in the power rankings at all, right? So for you to ride 250 supercross and then switch to 450 motocross, you're really going to have to light the world on fire because you're going to have to jump all of the 450 supercross guys that I have all of this data on. And that maybe they had a great supercross season. Even if motocross hasn't gone so well, like Cooper Webb, you got a lot of work to do to surpass all of the things that they did during 450 Supercross. I think I think Christian Craig has done it, though. I think he deserves to be in there. He has been a top 10 mainstay in this 450 Motocross series, and I have him at number nine. He genuinely looks the part on this 450. He doesn't look like he's you know, under duress from the pace or out of place or anything like that. He doesn't look intimidated. Uh, so great job, great ride from Christian. Even after a huge crash in practice, uh, it's a to get up and bounce back and show some resiliency uh, just kind of shows where he's at uh, on his way to improving in this uh, yeah this whole motocross dichotomy. Marvin Muscan, what a day for him. You know, I think that was a really nice uptick because it hasn't been good. Even at Spring Creek a week ago, it was not good. Starts are great, but he just goes backwards, plain and simple. I've watched it all season. Good starts, work your way backwards. And he didn't do that at Washougal. I do think part of it was the track. I think he rides this surface and this this uh, course very well, and he always has. So there certainly was some of that. It was just a good track for him, but that's okay. That's how this series goes. You know, you're allowed to have good tracks and bad tracks. But it was nice to see Marvin actually benefit from it being a good track. You know, if if he had had another bad day, I don't think there was really much hope of him really turning it around this year. But we're going into another track that he rides well at Unadilla. He's won there many times, won there on 250. I would assume he's won on the 450. I don't have it right in front of me, but I know it's a track he's ridden really well in the past. So look for him to use this momentum to, yeah, maybe get this series back on track. He is a he is in a contract year, and I do not, do not believe he has signed his KTM offer to stay there. Uh, I know that 
finances are or seem to be the biggest challenge as far as him re-signing. And, and I'm I'm going off of rumor, and but you know I believe the sources I have. And yeah, he just he hasn't really delivered on the level that he used to be at. He's not you know really winning a lot anymore. He's not in championship contention. So typically in that scenario, you will take a pay cut. And I think he's battling to get that number a little bit higher before he signs it. At number seven, I have Aaron Plessinger. And it's been a rough couple weeks for AP. I don't really think it's anything that's necessarily his fault. I think he's riding well. Things aren't, you know, the ball's just not bouncing his way. And that's how it goes sometimes. Sometimes you just have a streak of bad luck. You know, the engine issue at Southwick, not his fault. He crashes uh, into his teammate at Spring Creek. Not necessarily his fault. He goes off the track and crashes this weekend. Kind of his fault, but that's just how things go. And, and when you get momentum going one way or the other, sometimes it takes a pretty significant uh, event to get it back going. So I think he needs to get a whole shot. He needs to get to the front and really turn the tide. And maybe that second moto was it. You know, Maybe that was the turn and we'll go to Unadilla and you'll see AP back battling for podiums and uh, maybe even challenging for the win again, because I think that's there. I think it's, it's who he is at this point in his career. He's, he's shown us enough now to believe in it. Uh, he's just had a, a streak of bad motos. And, and again, those weren't all his faults. So I try not to think that those are going to continue because those seem to be more outlying events than they do a serious trend. I think the riding is always, you know, are you riding well or are you riding poorly? And if you're riding well, you know, I think that you have a very good chance of straightening those things out and it's not necessarily a trend. It's just kind of, damn, I need to, I need to turn this ship around because I'm doing everything else right. Um, so yeah, I, I think we'll, I think we'll see him back in contention sooner rather than later. Number six, I have Webb, and, and I can understand if, if you're frustrated with having Webb still in sixth. But again, he's your Supercross champ, and I think he's getting better outdoors right now. Now, he's not winning or even close. He's not even close to a podium yet, but I think he's getting better throughout the course of this season. We're starting to run out of time a little bit, but again, he's under contract. He's going to be wearing the number one plate in Supercross next year. I don't think there's any sort of pressure on him to perform. I just think he's putting his own pressure on himself right now to be better because I don't think he's very happy running around, you know, in five, six, seven, eight, nine. I just don't think that's where Cooper Webb believes he should be. And I don't personally believe he should be there either. So let's see if he can continue to improve. But I think overall, you know, Steve and I argued this point quite a bit. I just didn't expect a lot from him this summer. I think anytime you win the Supercross championship and you've put all of your focus onto Supercross, I don't think motocross is going to go very well. And he's since told us that he didn't ride outdoors at all until like nine days after Supercross ended. So he basically got like two weeks of practice in before we launched this season off at Paula. And that's showing up. It's just almost impossible to make up for a lack of preparation that all those guys have on you. They have this huge foundation on you. And I've talked about this on this show and other shows that's a really long process to close that gap. And I think he's closed it some, but to think he's going to close it all the way on Ferrandis and Tomac and these guys who are clearly much more prepared than he is. And I wouldn't even say Tomac so much, but certainly Ferrandis. I mean, and I would even say even Roxon a little bit, um, but it's clear that some guys were prepared for motocross and some weren't, you know, Marvin, I would put in the, in the wasn't category. 
I think he was focused on Supercross, and you saw the results from Supercross at the end of the series really bearing that out. You know, Marvin and Cooper were lights out good at the end of the series. And then we went to Paula, and they both were way off the back. That's just typically how it goes. It's all about where you put your time and efforts and focus both mentally and physically. And that stuff matters. Where all these other guys were doing motos and starting to work in outdoor motos in March, they were almost all in in April for outdoor motos. And the other guys are still focused 100% on Supercross. Well, there's going to be an uptick in Supercross for the the Supercross focus. And then there's going to be a real drop-off in the early rounds of motocross. And I, w- I will say that I thought that guys like Webb would be better by now. I thought he would be battling for a podium by now, but it's just taken him a little bit longer. And you saw Marv. Marv was much better this weekend. So maybe Marv turned a corner and has finally closed that gap down. Um, but yeah, I, I think my thesis on that is is kind of playing out how I thought it would. And uh, it's just one of those things where once you get momentum on your side and you come in prepared, it's hard to to take you off that track or, or hard for people to really close that gap to you. At number five, uh, I have Chase Sexton and he got a win, man. What a ride from Sexton. That first moto was really impressive. Uh, I mean, he took the lead away from, from Roxon and then was just kind of gone, you know, got right there from the beginning and, and they were battling he and he and Kenny on the first lap, but really just never looked back. I thought there was a chance that both Marvin and Eli would catch him in that first moto and he wasn't having it. He was able to, uh, to find a pace that kept him safe in that lead and a lot of poise shown from Sexton in in both motos. And and this is really what we thought we would see. You know, we got a, a real glimpse of it at Paula where he almost beat Ferrandis in that moto, but it really hasn't been around since there's been a lot of crashing, a lot of bad starts and a lot of issues ever since. But this was really back to what we thought we would see all season long. And I think, you know, the consistency is the next step for him. It, it's finding a way to be on this level every week. Doesn't mean you have to win every week. I, I think that's too tall of a task. But being relevant, being a top five threat each week is, I think, the next step for, you know, remember a very young Chase Sexton. He moved up before most people thought it was necessarily time to. Number four, I have Justin Barsha. And he has been really solid in the last couple of weeks. I mean, we all know he won Spring Creek in just an incredible day, but he was more solid than you would think at Washugo as well. You know, he didn't jump off the page results-wise, but he was constantly moving forward. He wasn't taken aback by the pace. I didn't believe at all. And I don't think this track is really a good track for him. Uh, we've seen him have really devastating crashes uh, in the whoops one year at this track. And I, I don't think his style works very well with Washugal. You know, he's a high rever. He's very aggressive with the throttle exiting corners and Washugal will typically penalize you for that. You'll just get a ton of wheel spin and you really don't get the power to the ground. You just end up making a lot of noise. And sometimes you can end up crashing because of that, because the rear will just step out on you. Uh, you know, when you're at 10,000 RPM, that's just not how Washugal likes to be ridden. So, uh, I thought it was a pretty nice ride from Barsha and, uh, a way, a way for him to utilize, or at least display his skill set that he can ride multiple types of tracks. So good job from him. Uh, it's been a very impressive outdoor campaign for him when I didn't really expect a lot, to be honest. Number three, I have Ken Roxon. 
And you could really see him laboring. You know, I would assume it was from that Spring Creek crash. We don't ever really know what's going on physically with Roxon. There's just been so much trauma and drama with his body over the years. You don't know if he's just having a bad day. Is it the heat? Was it the crash from Spring Creek? Uh, was, you know, his long-term health issues, were they flaring up? There, there's just always question marks with him. If you see him fading or struggling, you just kind of chalk it up to shrugging your shoulders because it could be a myriad of things. And unless he tells us, we're just left to guess. And I don't want to guess anymore. I, I, I'm just going to assume that it was from, you know, the rib injury and everything that went on Spring Creek, but it could literally be anything. It could be a lot of different things with rocks in it, and none of them would surprise me. Eli Tomac at two, that second moto, man, he was sending it. And I think all of us thought he was going to go up there and get Ferrandis, right? Um, but we're starting to discover that if anybody has the fitness or the poise or the tenacity to hold off Tomac, it might be Ferrandis. He can fight fire with fire in those those final few laps. And that last lap by Ferrandis, man, was really impressive. Now, Tomac did make a mistake. That that needs to be said. But you could see Ferrandis turn the intensity up. You know, most people, when Tomac com- is coming like that, they, they kind of cower. Like, I don't want to say that they crumble under that pressure, but they aren't able to turn their own pace up to combat Tomac's intensity. It just doesn't happen. And it, it doesn't really matter if it's been Roxon or Muscan or anybody over the years they typically aren't able to hold back a challenge like that. And so that for Ferrandis to be able to do that was impressive, speaks volumes about uh, his confidence level in his own program and fitness. And he's not intimidated by Tomac. I'm sure he has a ton of respect for Tomac. I mean, everybody does. And I'm sure Ferrandis has watched very closely as Tomac's just eaten people alive in the final few laps of motos. But I think Ferrandis kind of said it all that he was like, nope, I'm going to turn it back up too. And I'm going to, I'm going to give it everything I have and championship be damned. I'm going to lay it on the line. So impressive ride on a lot of levels. And I think he sent a pretty clear message to the rest of the field that he is just as strong, if not stronger than anybody else in this field. Now, of course, your number one guy is the rider we just mentioned, Dylan Ferrandis. And I mean, he's just a bad dude right now. He has everything clicking. And for him to get a get a whole shot in the second moto, you're just like, oh boy, these guys are uh, these guys are in big trouble. He's extended his lead even further now, and it's going to take something disastrous to turn this thing around because he's just got everything going his way. I don't think he feels like there's a lot of pressure anymore. I think he feels like he has everybody really under control. Outside of the you know the weird moto, bad start, crash, or just Tomax just on one which I don't think he fears that because he has such a big lead over Tomac. I think he knows that as long as he stays in the top three, nothing really to stress about, right? Take the wins when they're there. And if Tomac is just has some crazy good moto or, or Sexton gets out front and wants to run away, that's okay because you've already built up such a cushion that you can allow things like that to happen. You don't have to, to press the panic button and, and send it into some danger, you know, I'm not even going to use the word danger zone, but some dangerous mode where you're riding way over your head to close those points down, you can allow those things to happen because you've earned it. You've built up a really nice points gap and he extended it significantly over Ken Roxon again uh, on Saturday. And that's really what it's all about. It doesn't always matter who's gaining or losing, right? If, if 
Uh, Chase Sexton made up a few points on you. So what? Because the total number between you and second place increased. And it doesn't matter if Tomac's in second or Roxton's in second or whoever's in second. As long as that number week in and week out gets bigger, then you're accomplishing the goal. And I think too many people get wrapped up in, oh, well, Tomac made up a few points. So what? He's 50 points down. The guy that you're most worried about is always your biggest threat is the guy in second place. And that was Ken Roxon. And now that number is significantly larger than it was going into the weekend. That's all that, that's all that matters. Just make the number bigger. If you go in, I think it was 32 going into the weekend. What is it now? Over 40, right? So great. <laughs> you're, you're doing what needs to be done. Uh, and I've just heard that point argued a lot of different ways. And I, I don't necessarily agree with, you should be stressing about this guy because he made up points. Who cares? He could have a bad race next week. As long as the total number of points between you and a championship is increasing, great. I want to jump into the MXGP class here. Uh, We don't talk about this nearly enough, but I do want to mention a couple things on the sponsors. Pirelli Tires, they will will have many of the mini riders. And when I say mini, I mean, you know, 65, 85 guys running their Scorpion MX32, which is a brand new range for them coming up at Loretta Lens, which is pretty awesome. I'm excited to see how those guys rip starts with those Pirelli tires, the uh, mid-soft mini tires. Plum Creek funding. I talked to Zach Morris uh, last night and this morning, and he wanted me to mention that there was a reduction in fees. Uh, So when you do a refi, I've been telling you guys, you need to go look into refis. If you own a house already, rates are at historic lows. Well, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac removed a half a percent fee that was on top of all refinance. So let's say, you know, average cost of a house, I think in America is like three to 400 grand. Let's, let's say it's 400,000. Half a percent is two grand. That's taken off the cost of a refi. And I know in 2017, I had that fee inside my refi. Well, that's now gone. So that's just another reason for you to be looking into a refi because I believe that once rates go up and once, you know, the Federal Reserve believes we're back on track, I think a lot of those fees are coming back. And they're going to try to recoup all of this spending that uh, you know the Federal Reserve and the government's been doing for the last year and a half. They're going to try to cut this deficit back down. That's what the government does. And uh, guess what? You know how they do that? They charge all of us. So check out Plum Creek Funding. Reach out to Zach Morris, 720-212-4685. Guts Racing. As I mentioned earlier, Rockstar Husky uses their graphics. They also offer the RJ Wide Wing Seat that Dean Wilson uses gives you a little bit more surface area to grip the bike with. And if anybody, if you've ever worked with a riding coach, they're going to tell you you need to be riding with your knees, much less than the handlebars, you know, let your arms kind of be free and steer the bike with your legs. Well, that RJ wide wing seat will help that. So check out gutsracing.com and uh, Andy Gregg and the, and the crew over there, great people. And I'm, I'm happy to be affiliated with them. Fast Foundry, reach out to Robert, ask how he can help your small business house. Even if you work for a big company and you want to Talk to your IT department and see how Fast Foundry can help. They work with Fortune 500 companies. They do all sorts of digital events. Uh, and, and efficiency is really the name of the game. In today's business arena, I think you're, you really need to be in fighting shape is, is what it comes down to because every business has faced new challenges in the last, you know, what, 15 months or so. And the strongest businesses are going to come out ahead on the other side. I, I just think there's been a a kind of a reset as far as who's going to be successful and who's not, who's going to get the business and who's not because of COVID. And you certainly want to be as efficient and strong as possible uh, because I think there's a great opportunity there. So reach out to Fast Foundry 
and uh, see what they can do for you. Works Connection, ripping starts with that Pro Launch Start device. You can use the promo code JT21 at checkout to get one of those. I always bring up Monster Star Yamaha because, damn it, they whole shot every damn time. But look at uh, Chase Sexton getting starts yesterday too. Guess what they use? Pro Launch Start device. So when you look at the common denominator, it's not that hard to see that Works Connection is there every single time. Blenzol Oils, go to at Blenzol on Instagram and Blenzol.com. It's a legacy company. They've been around forever and ever, but they've been, they've been innovating new stuff and coming up with new ideas and new blends uh, to add to the collection. David Schloss and the team over there really trying to get aggressive, social media, on all sorts of podcasts, sponsoring riders, Michael Essie, and uh, uh, what's the kid? Schlosser, I saw him out there. He is a, uh, a Blenzol-sponsored rider as well. He, he throws me off, though, because in Supercross, he was like on this white bike with a white helmet, and now he looks totally different out there uh, this summer. So I've been trying to get used to that. But in any case, check out Blenzol Oils because, again, these, these companies support the sport, and that's really critical that we give back to them because if we're making purchases, if we're making buying decisions, why wouldn't we support these companies that are putting money right back into the sport that we love so much? Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia. If you've been working on some sort of replica bike, which is a really popular theme right now, I'm actually looking at getting one done myself. Or maybe you just want to get your bike dialed in, check out Premier Vapor Blasting. Uh, you can reach out to Brandon Coker and, and tell them that you heard about it on the Industry Seating Podcast and you will get a discount on whatever work you want done. And I think going to at Premier Vapor Blasting is your best opportunity to learn more about it because you're going to see exactly what they can do. And the results are pretty darn impressive, if I do say so myself. I didn't know a lot about this process until uh, I met Brandon and he kind of filled me in. And then I did some research on my own, but really cool stuff. And again, really the results are all you need to see and you will be sold as well. 612 Suspension, they are a race tech affiliate, uh, longtime friends with the, uh, the Monk family that owns 612 Suspension. And they can work on any sort of power sports equipment that you may have. Side-by-side, street bike, dirt bike, whatever it is, if it has suspension, it can be improved by 612 suspension. Get your oil changed, get gold valves, whatever it may be, get it you know, uh, sprung for your weight uh, is, is a really critical aspect as well, just so you're getting the most out of your, uh, your hard-earned dollars. Grandstone Boots, showed you guys on Instagram, I got some the other day. Uh, it's been so darn hot. I don't know why I keep saying darn, I need to stop that. Um, but it's been so hot in Boise. I haven't been able to wear uh, pants really anywhere because it's been over a hundred like every single day. So I'm looking forward to some reduced temperatures so I can break out my Grandstone boots and uh, yeah, go grab dinner downtown. ProGlow Wash, use the promo code MOTO15. Ryan and the team over there have formulated a wash that is specific for power sports. And if you want more information on that, go back to the Arlington Supercross round of the Industry Seating Podcast and there's an interview there with Ryan where he explains it. And if you ever want to get in touch with Ryan and learn more about exactly why you should be buying ProGlow versus some off-the-shelf brand, uh, reach out to me and I'll put you in contact with him. Great guy, great you know, uh, racing family, and I'm sure he'll be happy to explain. And, and so you can learn exactly why you should be buying it. Last but not least, Fly Racing. We launched our brand new line on Friday. It will be in dealers ASAP, and I hope you all like it. And again, you know, I've been battling people online and whatever about they don't like this color and they don't like that graphic and what, and, and that's okay. Like I, I know tastes are very subjective. And if you go too wild, people don't like that. If you go too, you know, 
keep it very clean and simple. People don't like that. If you use basic colors, people don't like that. If you use neons, people don't like that. So it is very challenging and impossible to please everyone is, is probably a better way to go about it. Uh, I just get defensive and I'm very uh, proud of the work that our team does. And I don't like when people take cheap shots. So I get, uh, yeah, I get in there and fight back a little bit, which I probably shouldn't do, but it's only because I know, I know the, the work and the effort and the resources that we're putting into trying to make the best product we can. I, I literally are trying to make the best product on earth. I don't want you to be able to go to any other company and say, yeah, this is definitively better. If you can, then we're not doing our job. So we need to, uh, we need to be better. And we're, and we're working every single day towards that. So thank you for listening to those sponsors. Let's, uh, let's talk MXGP a little bit. I just got done watching it. I did not get up early enough to watch the motos or, you know, wake up and log in immediately. I was, I was honestly too tired from Washougal and I just wanted to make some coffee and, uh, enjoy my morning a little bit before I started work which this podcast is work and writing columns is work and all that stuff. It's not hard work. I'm not digging ditches. I'm not, you know, out, uh, cleaning trash off the highway or doing anything manual labor, but I'm also not, uh, I'm not at the pool either. I'm, uh, I'm here trying to create content for you guys, which I love doing, but remember I, I pretty much work every single day. So it was nice to just chill for a minute this morning before I jumped into uh, this podcast. So MXGP, they were in Lockett, which is in the Czech Republic. And this is a track I've actually never been to. I was going last year. I was going to go, uh, and then COVID kind of killed all my plans. It's always a challenging one for me to get to because it's the same weekend as Washougal, and I need to be at Washougal. But I do want to make it there eventually. It's a really cool-looking city, um, just very, very Euro. you know. And, and I don't mean that. That's not a derogatory term at all. It's just the quintessential quintessential. Europe looking city, old buildings, castles, hilly, woody, you know, wooden, hilly terrain, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it just looks like one I would really enjoy doing. And I thought it was interesting if you watch the race today, they're like just in a neighborhood. Like there's a house literally on the backside of a berm <laughs> on the track, which is just crazy. I mean, those people are probably, they probably go vacation somewhere the week of this race just to get out of town because it's got to be just chaos, you know, all the air horns and riding all weekend and people everywhere. They probably just, maybe they Airbnb. That would be a, a cool idea. Airbnb your house uh, for that week. And uh, yeah, if you're a team, that would be a pretty great option to have your entire team in a house. So maybe that's a cool idea But I just thought it was pretty crazy to have, you know, residential housing, like literally right up against the side of the track. But Prado finally got a win. And he just looked great all day. You know, the starts were key for him as they always are. He is a rider that really thrives off of being at the front. He is a race manager to a T and that's not a bad thing. I don't mean that in a negative tone. It's just what he's good at. You give him a lead, you allow him to settle into a pace and he can manage almost always. He can manage it from the front. You know, in the second moto, Tony Cairoli had too much pace for him. And Tony did the right thing because you need to strike early on Prado. You don't want to let him settle in. If he settles into a pace and can mark you behind him, he's very tough to deal with. But Tony knows that. Tony's been working and he's been his teammate, you know, since he moved into MX2. But he's been working with him for a long time as well. So he knows his strengths and weaknesses. And I guarantee you, if you ask Tony, you know, what was the strategy there when, when Jorge gets the whole shot? He, he says, I got to get him early. I got to get him on the first lap and get him out of his rhythm. And then I can manage 
Jorge from the back. You know, I don't think he really fears Prado behind him, but you, everyone fears Prado if he gets out to a lead. That's just that's just the trend, and that's just how you know his his basic character as a racer, and that's how everybody has to approach dealing with Jorge Prado. But it was enough today. He he did enough winning the first moto and then the second moto. He he rode really really well to hang in there. He didn't have enough for Tony, which I, historically most people don't. But I think that was a big uh, a big relief, and he was able to take a deep breath. I don't. I'm sure he celebrated. Of course he did. But I would bet you that it was more of a sigh of relief than it was some sort of celebration uh, as far as you know him inside. Um, he's expected to win. He's paid to win. And he hasn't been winning. So I think moving forward, he will be able to relax a little bit now. And uh, we'll see if his results reflect that. Just moving forward, if he can find consistency in winning week in and week out. As for uh, Tyga, Tim Geiser... I mean, that was the mistake everybody's been waiting on. You know, he's crashed so much over the course of his career. It was atypical for him to not be crashing. And it sucks to say that, you know, for me to say, yeah, we were all expecting him to crash. I don't feel good saying that, but it's true. We all expected him to crash because that's what we've been. We've been uh, programmed to expect because he's given us so much of it over the years. Now he's as resilient as they come. He can flip down the track upside down and backwards and then get up and still get points. And he did it again today, but that's just who he is. And I think the bike has helped. The bike is more stable and it's taken some of that, let's say chaos out of his riding, like the unpredictability, but it's still there. You know, if you make a huge mistake, the bike's not going to save you every single time. And it finally caught up with him today. You know, he didn't injure himself, which man, he, like I was saying a, a couple seconds ago, he finds a way to get up and ride through big crashes. Maybe, maybe more than anyone ever. I'm trying to think of a comparable rider to say that they were, you could crash the same way as many times and just get up and keep going. And I I don't, I'm struggling to find one. So I don't know if it's a talent or if it's skill or if it's blind luck, but he certainly gets it done. Tony Cairoli gets another moto win in that second moto and he's hanging around in this championship He's only 11 points down, and I think Tim Geiser would be making a big mistake if he lets Tony Caroli stay in this thing. You don't win nine championships without learning how to get championships done. So I think Tim was on a pace here to really check out and make things very, very difficult on everybody else, and he just let a bunch of guys back in. Not only did he let Caroli back in, he let Prado back in. And guess what? He didn't remove Jeffrey Hurlings. And that might be one of the most critical aspects is that he had an opportunity to put a bunch of points on the board and effectively remove Jeffrey Hurlings' chances. And he didn't do it. That crash came at the most opportune time for Hurlings, maybe of the season. You know, there's a long way to go the rest of the, rest of the way here. We'll see how many events we actually get in if, you know, more rounds are canceled or what. But I think the most excited person about that crash had to be Jeffrey Hurlings because it could have effectively been over leaving today. If Geiser goes 1-1 and puts 50 points up on Hurlings on top of the lead he already had, I don't know that there's any way to make those up outside of a Geiser injury. So again, Hurlings couldn't do much about it, but he had to be thrilled that Geiser saw some adversity today. Fevra. Man, he is loose, right? 
uh, we all, you know, I think he's entertaining. I like the guy. He's a, he's a nice guy. And I like that he is willing to take chances again, because I think he's been riding fairly conservatively the last year or two, but man, he's got to find a way to back it down just a little bit because he's crashing way too much right now. He's back to crashing on the level that he was on the Yamaha. And there was a lot of winning on the Yamaha. Don't get me wrong, but there was also a lot of crashing. And typically you can only crash so many times before you aren't able to get up and you're hurt some way, somehow it doesn't have to be a massive injury, but it can be bad enough to take you out for a race. And then your championship is effectively done. That's it for uh, MXGP class. I do want to give a shout out to Jeremy Sewer and Glenn Koldenhoff. They both rode really well today. They're both battling for top fives. And I think in this class that, uh, that deserves to be rewarded. They're not able to get up there and battle for the win yet, but, uh, yeah, not many people are and, but they're riding well, their, their starts are good and they look great on the bike. Their setup looks good. And, uh, I I don't want to exit the uh, MXGP podcast or MXGP section of this podcast without mentioning them. Also wanted to throw a, a little nod to Sean Simpson. What a great ride in that second moto. He really needed that. Uh, Sean is one of the nicest guys in the pits and it hasn't been going all that well for him the last year or two. I think that's fair to say. I hate to say that about him, but I think he would probably agree. So to see him inside the top 10 in that second moto on a track that really doesn't suit him, he rides sandier, muddier, softer conditions, much, much better than he would a track like this, but he got it done. He hung in there and, uh, he looked, you know, he looked on the pace and he looked the part to be a top 10 guy. MX2, just to wrap this thing up, it is wide open. Uh, we saw the return of Tom Bial, but unfortunately, he couldn't stay off the ground in that second moto and just put himself further behind. So I think we have to pretty much say he's out of this thing at this point. I've been fighting that notion for a while. I just thought he would get back to winning form and go on a run here, which he still could, but I think he's so many points down now that it may not matter. You know, you look at Renault and uh, Beniston and Guadagnini and all these guys, they look really good. Yago Geertz looks back to form, although he had a pretty rough day today. He didn't ride very well. But all those guys are uh, really kind of finding their groove and they're putting in top three, top five motos consistently. So I think it's going to come down to a battle between between those guys. It's going to be, you know, the Ruben Fernandez, Beniston, Guadagnini, Renault, Boisrome show. Uh, and, and of all those guys, I think it's really going to be between Guadagnini and Renault. Those two seem to have found their rhythm. And I think they, I want to say they have experience, but Guadagnini doesn't. He just moved into this class. Renault has a little bit more experience, but Geertz is the guy that should be really running away with this thing. He should be the one that's taking advantage of the Vial injury because coming into the series, everybody had those two circled as your likely champions. And when Vial goes out, Geertz, God, I just, I can't stress that enough that Geertz has left so much opportunity on the table. World championships don't come along all that often because there's constantly more talent coming up. Look at how good Guadagnini is in his first year. This was such an opportunity for Geertz to, to run away with this thing. And it doesn't mean he won't win the title. He's not that far out of it, but I mean, that first moto today, I don't know what he was doing out there. I mean, he starts, what starts 13th gets to 12th. Like, come on, man. You're a lot better than that. You go one, one at the last round and then you can't get into the top 10 the next weekend. Like you have to be better than that. You have to take advantage of the opportunities that are around you. And when your biggest competitor goes out of a series, you got to be on your best game 
you have to rise to the occasion and just rip off wins like nobody's business and take every ounce of, again, I keep saying that opportunity, but that's really what it is. Uh, I just, man, I know he's a young kid. He's what, 19, 20, something like that. Um, but I think if he doesn't find a way to win this title, he's always going to look back on this 2021 season and think what could have been. Because I think with the guys that are left and the point situations out there, this this was this was his year to really make it easy on himself and to run away with the championship. Not happening, though. It's not happening. So that's it for this week. Thank you to everyone. Uh, I'm home for a bit. I'm going to Vegas actually tomorrow to do the Pulp Show. But as far as on the weekends, I'm home for a couple weekends. And then I go to Finland with Steve Mathis on the weekend of the 20th. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, you know, they, the race goes off and everything. We don't get any cancellations or anything, but that is the plan to be in Finland for my next event on, uh, I leave August 19th. So I would get there the 20th. So thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do some podcasts in between now and then. We'll maybe go over some listener questions, but I do appreciate all of you listening to me drone on for 48 minutes and counting. I am going to try to do a podcast with Steve Mathis. I'm going to force him to do it with me since he just is relentless on me having guests on this show. I'm going to make him be the guest. So maybe uh, maybe we'll do that as the next one. Add a little flair to it. All right, guys. See you.